All right, friends, we are now ready to release this episode. We've spent hours and hours working on this dialogue and trying to get it as best as we can. This is another interview we recorded in the prime of the lockdown in 2020 from COVID-19. Hope you're all staying safe out there. Wear your mask and do the things. Let's do our part to see the end of this stuff so we can get back to some, you know, good audio. Hi guys, this is Chelsea. And I'm Sean. And we are the co-founders of Paxeros, an ethos-driven production company based out of Los Angeles, California. We are launching our inaugural Woman of Color Commercial Directing Program. This is a program where we are going to fund and produce and provide one-on-one mentorship for a woman of color who wants to break into the commercial advertising realm, specifically car commercials. We are asking applicants to write a spec script for Subaru. And specifically, we are looking for products Projects that embodies Subaru's love promise. Promoting equality and love for all. Also, Able Cine and Surreal just came on board as two of our official sponsors for this program. So please apply if you are a woman of color or know someone who's a woman of color. Please share this. Applications are available until July 14th at midnight. All the information can be found on our website at paxeros.co. In light of the current events sparked by the injustice and brutal murder of George Floyd, we would be remiss not to take a moment and let our listeners know where we stand. We stand wholeheartedly with the movement of Black Lives Matter and are committed to do our part, demanding a change. As three white males, we know it's no longer enough to simply be non-racist. But this is a time for educating ourselves and pursuing a better future as anti-racist. We will use our voice to stand along our black family and friends to spread this revolution of compassion, empathy, equality, and love. We must see a change in the system. We strive for a tomorrow that is not simply colorblind, but a system that recognizes and embraces our differences. We understand that it is our own white privilege that has fostered this system whose leaders are motivated to keep us separated. But we will continue to actively repurpose our privilege and distribute our resources to help dismantle the very system we've created. You are listening to the Create a Burn podcast. You are listening to the Create a Burn podcast. Biggest thing that I've learned in my career is that I think when you come out and you're an artist and you're a filmmaker, you know, a lot of people say, don't ever compromise your vision. I think that's probably the worst advice that I've ever gotten. You are a real professional and you're working in this business and you're getting paid to do it. It is not about who's the most creative in this profession. The people that are the most successful are the people that are able to be creative on command. It's not seen as compromising. If I could have talked to myself, I would have told myself that. Burn, baby, burn. <laughs> creative inferno. Burn, baby, burn. I think it's uh, <laughs> Let's talk about the fire. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about the fireworks July. <laughs> we just swam. I spent about three hours cooking shish kebabs. Yeah. It reminded me why I never do that because it takes forever <laughs> and it makes a huge mess. So back when I hated vegetables and anyone would ever make shish kebabs, I just like moved the vegetables off the stick and ate the meat. That's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I knew that was going to happen. So I just put all the vegetables on certain sticks and all the shrimp on a different stick and all <laughs> the stick. So like you kind of got to pick and choose, yeah. you know. Yeah. Rather than two skewers with both, you get one 
skewer with meat and one skewer with vegetables. Then you can just skip the one skewer if you want to. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, don't why are you making me work? <laughs> they were good, though. It's the first time I've grilled in a while. Last time I grilled was last year, my wife's birthday, and we were doing steaks for her birthday. And she was eating hers, and she's like <clears throat> clearing her throat a lot. I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I just got something like stuck in my throat. I'm like, oh man, is it a bone or what's 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 wrong? And she's keeps going, you know, like <clears throat> it's really kind of hurting. And I'm like, do you think it's like stuck, like that you you ate something sharp or what? And she's like, I don't know, I don't know, it'll be fine. The next day, I had to leave town to go do some filming, and. I was like, are you going to, like, everything's fine, you know, like, you know, later on in the night. She's like, no, you go do your thing. It's going to be totally fine. And and so uh, I drove, you know, two and a half hours to go to this other shoot. And then the next day, she's like, hey, I'm going to have my dad take me to the ER. I kind of feel like this is probably a problem. I'm like, what? You're going to the ER? And so she went in and what it was, like, they couldn't see anything for a while. And she's like, oh, it's in there for sure. I know it. I can feel it right there. And what she had done is eaten a bristle of a cleaning brush and it got stuck in her throat and it was oh, like wow. in there. And so they could barely see like a little tip of it sticking out and they were able to pull it out. And the doctor was just like, you have the highest pain tolerance out of anybody that I've, you know, because you're able to endure this. And I was like, I am so sorry. Like I felt so bad because she was like, it was her birthday dinner, you know? And <laughs> oh wait, she got it from brushing her teeth. No, it's... <laughs> oh, metal, metal brush the from metal. the grill. Oh, yeah, the metal like, oh what you okay, use. So I, was, I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Here, hold on. I, I missed the metal part, and I was like, hold on a second. <gasps> this little... You get hair in your throat, and you're like, ah, and then like a day later, you're like, I'm good. Toothbrush, bristle, I was like, oh, well, that's not your fault, man. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I was like, I'm never going to grill again, basically, is what I said. I'm never going to grill again. I don't care if you want shish kebabs. (laughs) We're going to do them in the oven. Careless bristle. The point being, don't clean your grill with a wire brush. (laughs) I thought the point was, guys, just don't celebrate 4th of July. It's just, (laughs) yeah, no no more 4th of July celebration. Yep. It was a weird day. Yeah. Well, it was the first time I had never gone back home. Usually I'd go to my parents' house. They live out in the country. It was the first time I didn't go home because my sister hasn't been feeling well. Mm. And so I was like, in the city, I've never heard fireworks go off in the city. It felt like a war zone. And I was just like, I hate this. <laughs> it's different when you're watching like the colors and the things like that. But when you're just hearing pops and booms and why do we enjoy this? It's kind of like you're just listening to construction happening in your neighborhood really <laughs> loud. Like it's just you wait, you don't hear anything. And all of a sudden it's just like bang, 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 bang. Mm. And nothing. And then <laughs> and then <laughs> all the ash yeah. it was funny because Shauna was like grilling a couple burgers for us and every time she went outside one would boom right by our house but it was every time she went out so she goes outside and she opens the lid and it's like boom and she's just like ah. <laughs> and you come in and be like every goddamn time yeah. our family we're all pranksters when it comes to that stuff especially my father-in-law he likes to walk up behind you be like, oh, yeah, did you see that tree over there? And then you don't hear the little, like, right behind you, you know? Mm-hmm. And just bang, you know? 
<laughs> Isn't that how assassins work? <laughs> hey, look at that tree right there. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> it's pretty smooth. I will say this. I, you say, you know, how was your fourth? It's just weird in general to celebrate that holiday where we are right now. Mm-hmm. As a country, so many people are divided. It felt almost like smiling through your teeth. Yeah. You know, I even told the kids, I'm like, we're not going to celebrate like we normally do. And they're pretty aware of the issues and the things that we're fighting for because I spent a lot of time talking about it and doing it. I almost got away with like not having any fireworks because I was just like, I don't feel like we should do it. And, you know, the core of me is like kind of like it felt that way. And then I started kind of looking at the kids too. For them, it's a thing of having something to do as far as like fun and something out of the ordinary Mm -hmm. started to look at them and they saw you know they'd see we have a lot of different cultures around us here and everybody was shooting fireworks and and so that was kind of a hard discussion to say you can't do that but we did find the american legion here ran by african-american cool dudes and we stayed there and talked to them for a long time i think it was just a way that made it feel better Mm -hmm. i didn't have any problem spending money there but it was it was hard so that's the end of that story. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said you were going to. Oh, I thought you were going to roll no, into no, no, the next. I thought you guys were going to say. So yeah. So and uh, so. Anyways, yeah, a lot of we fun can. stuff. We uh, can. Overall, I think. You want me to do it since you're doing the story? Do you want me to roll into? No, I, I, we're going to keep all this in there. I think now, so it's it's fine. <laughs> so we laughed and, and it's, we made it a thing. It's too big of a thing to leave out now. So, um, but yeah, a lot of good, a lot of cool stuff's been happening. We've been seeing some really great things happening with the podcast too. We have a brand new optimized recording space that is not able to be used yet because of social distancing, but. You know, eventually it's going to be great. We got a place to uh, stream from and lights and and bring some pro movement people in and start to make some of these expressions that we've been talking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be exciting to, like, bring some bands in, actually see our guests in person and not in Zoom when that's able to be a thing and see yeah. you guys face-to-face while we do these. That'll right. be fun. Yeah. The face-to-face thing is really kind of the thing that we're pushing, which is, ironically, you're not supposed to be face-to-face, but the type of growth that we're seeing is growth that happens by people telling other people. The organic growth that we've seen has been really encouraging, you know, in the comments and the reviews that we've gotten some good reviews and and we would love to hear more from you if you're listening and you like this like we're wanting to grow this obviously and we want to you know make it be a community of creators and stuff like that so we're really wanting people that are listening to stuff to you know help us pass it along to people that you think would also benefit from it cj's son was passing it along to someone that he's friends with and works with and listened to it and he like blew through five episodes and was like this is amazing i've never been this i'm creative and never thought of these things before and So it's fun to hear that, and I think it's good to pass that along, too. So, like, if you guys can help us, that's a big way to do it is not just getting connected with us, but also, you know, being like, hey, so-and-so would like this. I'm going to send this to them. We want to organically grow like that and get this nice community of creatives all together. Yeah, and also just, you know, share it. Share it with your friends and and share it. (laughs) Share it. Subscribe. Just said that. (laughs) Yeah, also, Kyle, if you're listening to this, this is officially your shout-out. I hope you're weed-eating, and actually, you probably are mowing right now, but I hope it's going well for you today. (laughs) I told him I would do that. (laughs) (laughs) So this is your shout-out. Kyle! Thanks for listening! Here's the new episode! Turn the weed eater off!
headphones? Good. <laughs> Speaking of new episodes, we got a brand new one today with Micah Brown, a great friend from Lawrence, Kansas. And we should start talking about this guy gets stuff done. Did you write this one down? <laughs> No. Can you tell? <laughs> so Micah has done some crazy stuff. He started as working in-house with Kansas Athletics and has just grown like crazy. We're going to find out how and why he got naked to make his movie, mm-hmm. how he possibly lost the tip of his finger, <laughs> and the importance of an email and following up. That's the big one. <laughs> I hate emails. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I totally thought you were going to say something different. <laughs> <laughs> Micah's storytelling sensibilities, problem-solving capabilities, and visual eye quickly earned the trust of network executives as he seamlessly slid into the directing chair on numerous episodic series, including Draft Diaries and Undiscovered on the NFL Network. Undiscovered has played an intricate role in helping the NFL expand internationally and has garnered millions of views online with audiences in the United Kingdom, Germany, Australia, and Brazil. In 2017, he made his long-form documentary debut with Prison Fighters, Five Rounds to Freedom, which highlights a prison in Thailand that allows inmates to fight for their freedom. The documentary earned him a nomination for Documentary of the Year at the 2018 Synopsis Awards and was praised as a borderline masterpiece by critics for its complicated moral premise. His latest feature-length documentary, Chuck and Tito, is part of ESPN's illustrious 30 for 30 docuseries. It chronicles the hot and cold relationship between MMA fighters Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz from the very start of the UFC through its rise of popularity to the present day. Micah has become a regular contributor to award-winning programs such as ESPN College Game Day, E60, NFL Countdown, SC Featured, and critically acclaimed series like Draft Academy, Last Chance U, and All Access. Micah currently resides in Lawrence, Kansas with his wife and two sons. I would love to talk about Prison Fighters the process that you went through, that story is just crazy to me. You had this story, you're like, well, I'm going to go make it. Can you kind of give us a background and kind of what took you to the point to where you sold it? Yeah, so, you know, the beginning of Prison Fighters, it really started with me kind of being bored with what I was doing. You know, for the first couple of years, I was working for Kansas Athletics. And then I was working, when I started my own company, I was doing a lot of recruiting sports videos. And so I'd go work with these athletic departments and we'd make a recruiting video and it'd be, uh, look how much we're family and look how cool our school is and here's our lockers and here's some football action. And, you know, I, not that I, yeah, <laughs> not that I hate doing that, but yeah. after a while it becomes the same thing over and over and over. And I was like, man, I got to find some real stories to do. And so I started researching and Believe it or not, I came across this story about a prison in Thailand that allows inmates to fight for their freedom. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Through a bunch of journalists and different people, I got an email address of this mafia guy who is setting up these fights. And they said, I don't even know if this email is active anymore. He's in Thailand. He's from Estonia, you know, but you might be able to get in touch with him. And I emailed that guy for months and months and months. And eventually we're able to get in touch with him, but that wasn't enough. We started talking via FaceTime and we couldn't figure out how to break the language barrier, couldn't figure out how to hammer this thing out. So I got on a plane and I flew to Thailand. When I got to Thailand, I sent him a message and I said, hey, I'm here. Let's meet in person. 
And he sent me a message back for an address and he said, come alone. And oh, so wow. I was like, oh my gosh, all right. So, <laughs> so I go there. When are you and, making uh, this movie? <laughs> right? yeah, no, well, yeah, so that's another story. So, so then I get in this taxi cab. That guy doesn't speak English either. And they bring me, to, I'm in Bangkok and they bring me this back alley and it pulls up to this fence. I'm like, what is this? And this guy gets out and he opens up this fence and they drive in and they shut the fence behind him. I'm like, oh man, where am I going? And I pull up, there's this building and, you know, it looks like Wingdings font. I can't figure out what it says on there, you know, so I don't even know if I'm in the right spot. And I get up and I see the guy that I've been talking to. He's got a guy with him. He's about six, seven. And I'm like, oh man, he tells me to come alone yeah, and bring yeah. this guy with him, you know? <laughs> Where's and my so, six, seven guy? Come on. Yeah, yeah, this, exactly. this is a ballsy <laughs> choice. This is, a, right. this is a ballsy choice. So you get an e- you, you you spend time emailing this guy. You take a lot of time. You go to a, a place. Have you ever been to Thailand before? No, I've never you been You just to go Thailand. to a place you've never been before. They say, <laughs> yeah, come so. alone. And you're like, all right. <laughs> come all the way to Thailand. I might as well go, you know? Oh. And so I go in there and I said, what is this place? And he says, it's a, it's a sauna. And I said, it's a sauna. You know, like, is there a meeting room? Are we going to have some food? Or No, it's a sauna. We're going to sit in the sauna. I've seen Eastern Promises. Yeah, I know how this goes. Exactly. That's straight exactly up. He's straight up. He wants to make sure you're not wired. <laughs> well, this is what happens. So I, we go in there and we go in the bathroom and he goes, get undressed. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, all right. So I'm trying to play it cool. My heart's beating out of my chest. Take oh, off God. all my clothes. And I'm like, all right, we going? And he goes, yeah. So they take off all their clothes. So now I'm naked with these dudes. And we go into the sauna. And <laughs> there's all these other guys. And there's all these nationalities in the sauna. And he starts telling me about how, you know, this is where all the underground people meet in Thailand. And over there's a crooked cop. And over here's the guy from the Chinese mafia. And here's a guy from the Russian mafia. And there's a guy from the African mafia. I mean, it was crazy. Oh it, was like, it was like literally like everybody meeting in these little tables all over the place. It's like the Star Wars cantina of Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. was, was, that the, was that the day you got made? <laughs> yeah, man, it was crazy. So, and what the craziest part was is we'd been talking for months about this, and I can I thought about wearing a wire just so that I could tell a network that you know these guys actually agreed to do it because I didn't know if they would actually sign my document. Right. Oh, and uh, had I done that, man, that six seven kickboxer guy would have beat the crap out of me. <laughs> you know, one of the guys was armed, and so thankfully he put his weapon away, and we continued our meeting. And we would go in the sauna and they'd hand me like, it was so weird. They'd like hand me salt. They'd like put it on my arms. And they're like, yeah, I'll put this salt on. I'm like, all right. And then we'd jump in the, hot, in the cold tub. Then we'd go back in the sauna. It was just wild. At one point we were drinking, the, they brought out all these like cucumbers and like all this different fruit and then waters. And I did the Princess Bride switch the water glasses <laughs> before, you know, before we go leave. <laughs> so I, mean, I was kind of like, they're like, yeah, drink this water. I'm like, yeah, cool. <laughs> I switched glasses while your back was turned. Yeah, exactly. So, so we did that whole thing and I laid out my vision for why I was the right person to tell. Oh. They just found out he was oh, talking about guy. this. Yep. <laughs> they found him. Someone is talking about this on the internet. So so they hand you these waters. 
Yeah. And you're just drinking. And these guys, were they just nice dudes? Were they just like, or were they yeah, just they were, the whole they were time? Totally, like, they were totally cool. I don't know if they were totally harmless, but they were at least like really cordial with me. And I started laying out my vision for like why this documentary needed to get made and why I was the right person to do it. And, you know, at the end of like our two hour meeting, he's just kind of like, you know, we've had a lot of networks approach us. We've had a lot of people come talk to us. But whenever we got to the sauna, nobody wanted to come in. Interesting. And he was just like... Because they were all I wired. Think that, yeah, <laughs> Probably. They, yeah. yeah. No, they were just like, but you get us, you get our culture, we trust you. And, wow. you know, so now I can join the long list of people that got naked to get a movie made, you know? <laughs> was this your kind of first documentary? I know, at least on this scale. To this scale, you know, for sure. Like, I had worked as mainly a cinematographer for TV shows. And so I had been shooting documentaries, shooting different stuff for ESPN and Showtime and all these different people. But I had never like fully gotten the opportunity to direct my own documentary. And so this was one of those rare times where I said, this is a great idea. You know, nobody would probably hire me to go do it because I didn't quite have the credentials to be able to manage a project like that. But if I'm the only person that has access to it, maybe they will. And so what I chose to do was get that access. I got something signed. And then I approached some people that I knew at Showtime um, that I'd worked with as a cinematographer and said, hey, I want to do this. I'm also going to hire all the freelancers from your Emmy award-winning show to help me. So that it was really kind of a um, no-brainer for them. You know, for them, the risk was very low in that how could I possibly screw this up? Well, not only that, but you've got all these networks that were getting turned down and you're the one who doesn't. You know what I mean? And to be able to tell that to Showtime, like, hey, these guys trust me. This is the only way you're going to get it. They're probably like, all right, well, sounds like we have... (laughs) There was a lot of networks that um, knew about this prison fight program, but none of them were able to figure out what the real story was. Yeah. You know, they were kind of like, okay, yeah, this is a prison fight program, but they weren't able to hone in on like, this is a story between about a guy and his son. And, you know, this connective tissue between this guy who had already gotten out of prison and how he connects to this current inmate. That was really the disconnect. And I think that's often the case whenever you have a good idea, getting a network to take a risk. Kudos to Showtime. It was a high risk program. When we were in Thailand, the fight got canceled. And I had to make the hard decision of like, do I stay and shoot on Showtime's money and hope that this gets resolved? Knowing that at the end of this whole thing, I could have blown all the money they gave me and have nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. Or do I send everybody home? And I chose to bet on our ability to problem solve and figure it out. Thankfully, it came through. But had it not, I would have been totally screwed. And I yeah. would have been on the hook for all of that. You know, So there was a lot of obstacles. Did you have a main part of your story thought about and then went and shot it? Or were you going and shooting a bunch of stuff and kind of finding that story as you go or after you're done kind of figuring out the story to follow? or It was a little both. So the first thing that we did was we knew about the system, right? You know, and so then the next thing we did was we sent a uh, fixer to the prison and we did pre-interviews. We talked to the warden and we said, hey, who are guys that, you know, fit these kind of profiles? We want somebody that's like a murderer. Who's the hardest criminal in here? Who are his? And, you know, and then we talked to him like, Tell us about your family. Tell us about your crime. And we narrowed it down to four characters from there. So I think we interviewed 10 people and then narrowed it to four. 
And then once we got to Thailand, we met the people and then we kind of got a sense for like, all right, who are the two or three guys in the prison that we really can like hone in on? And then when the fight got canceled, we kind of threw that out and we had to decide very quickly within the first like two days, all right, who do we want to focus on? And so we focused on who ultimately became our main character, Noi. And then we shot a bunch of backup stuff that could potentially work in another character. If he didn't get out, like how would we deal with that? Different things like that. Why did the fight get canceled? They had this thing in Thailand where the government started to sanction off different prisons and deem them, categorize them. So they'd be like, you're an agriculture prison, you're a fight prison. Mm-hmm. And the prison that our guy was at, it got deemed an agriculture prison. Oh. And so they weren't <laughs> going to have any more fights. And then they ended up changing their minds and you know, allowing these guys to be able to fight. I mean, imagine doing your first documentary involving a foreign country, right. a government, <laughs> the mafia... I mean, geez, you yeah. know, it was like all of the things that you don't want to do, you know, that's what it was. You got injured in Thailand a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I actually had to have surgery over there. And so right after our character got out of prison, one of the rituals they do is they take them to this Buddhist temple and the monks bless them. And so they like throw water on them. It's kind of like in Christianity, the equivalent of like baptism. So mm-hmm. it's like washing away their sins. And, you know, I'm filming this epic drone shot of a drone flying over the temple. And I look over and, you know, there's a a guard there making sure that I don't touch anything, you know, police or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. The drone starts to run out of battery. And, you know, in Thailand, the GPS on the DJI drone wasn't exactly working great, you know, (laughs) knowing exactly where to go. And in Thailand, all of the power lines are like everywhere. So like you got to fly in a window like this big to like get it up and then get it out and then land it back. So it's not like yeah. super easy. No. So anyway, it's running out of battery and it's coming back where it says home is, but it's coming down and it's not avoiding like anything, you know, so I'm having to steer it, but it's coming down so I can steer <laughs> it around. But it's kind of like one of those games. I don't remember what the video game is, but you can only, it's going down the whole time, but you got to dodge all the obstacles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so anyway, I'm like bringing this thing down and I start running towards it to see where the front is because I'm getting a little turned around on it. It gets to where it's about eye level from me and I'm running towards it. And GPS function kicks back in and it comes right at my face. And I hit it up in the air with my hand and cut a huge tip of my finger off. Oh, and so oh, it cut wow. into my yeah, so it cut into my finger uh, about a couple centimeters, and then all the way across, ripped my whole nail off and like a little bit of the tip of my finger. So all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, blood is like shooting everywhere. Tell you the truth, <laughs> I was like just grateful that it didn't get my face. Oh, and yeah. so, you know, I was kind of in shock, like, oh man, I'm just glad I survived that. It could have like cut my throat or something. Well, we're there and our, the murderer's dad drives me to a hospital. <laughs> and so his son just gets out of prison. Poor guy. His son just gets out of prison. Right. And he's like, oh yeah, now he's going to drive me to a hospital. <laughs> and so it's me and my translator and uh, the murderer's dad. And he tries to bring me to a vet first. And I'm like, no, we're not like, at this point, we're not in like Bangkok. We're in like the middle of nowhere, Thailand. Yeah. So they got to drive like an hour and a half somewhere. He drops me off at a hospital. I go into this hospital and it's like the most horrifying foreigner experience you've ever been in. It's like 
marquee Thailand, like everything you thought uh-huh. Thailand was going to be like. And so I go in, meet with a doctor through my translator. He says, we need to cut your finger off. I'm like, what? I'm like, you're not going to cut my finger off. He's like, no, you're a bad infection. You're going to need your finger cut off. I'm like, all right, we're not doing that. You know, I, I got 10 more days here to shoot, we can figure it out. They said, we got to go into surgery right away and clean this up because there's like pieces of finger like everywhere. It's like open hamburger meat on my finger, you know? I go back there. They won't let my translator back in the emergency room with me. So I lay down on this table and they come in, they strap my arm down. They're getting me kind of ready for surgery and they put this thing on my head and I'm like, oh, it's like a hairnet. Now I'm like trying to control my breathing. It seems a little like scary, sketchy. And all of a sudden they start pulling something over my eyes and it's a blindfold. And so my arm is strapped to this table and I, I go, wait, 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 don't cut my finger off. They're like, it's okay. They grab my hands, my other hand, they strap that down. So now both my arms are strapped oh, to this table. I'm blindfolded <laughs> in Thailand with no translator. I'm like, this is literally my nightmare. You know, oh as they start numbing my finger up, I'm like, hey, don't cut my finger off. And I can hear the <laughs> saw start up. They're cutting on something, pulling on something. My oh. finger's numb. They eventually take this thing off and I see this huge bandage on my finger, take the bandage off and my finger's still there. You know, they like cleaned it all up and I'm like, oh my God. So then I go back and my translator's standing there and she goes, they said, they bring up these security guards. And I'm like, oh no, what is this about? She goes, they said that you got to pay in cash before you leave. Now, Thailand is like notorious for like, you know, when you're a foreigner, they have different prices for you than right. they would for like local mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So, you know, so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. She goes, it's a lot more than I thought. Now, mind you, I've had a surgery. I've had an x-ray. I've met with two doctors. I've gotten all my medications and all of that stuff. My God, how much is it? She said, it's $300. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, take my money, get me out of here. It's really bad. You're like, oh yeah, uh, hope I can come up with all of this. (laughs) That's that's my premium a month in America. (laughs) Switch finger, show us the finger. You know what? It like looks pretty good now. I mean, what caused you to, like why wasn't TV shooting enough? You just didn't enjoy that or... Like what pushed you to go, like, I'm going to go to Thailand and I'm going to find this thing and going to make it happen no matter, like, even if nobody's going to back me on it or whatever, I'm just going to get it done. I've been telling other people's stories for so long when I wasn't telling other people's stories and I was kind of like in charge of them and I was editing them, shooting them, all of that stuff. It wasn't stories that really interested me. It was stories that kind of paid the bills, but it wasn't stories that I felt like was getting the most out of me and really showing what my own potential was. You know, I think you get caught up in these things of, you know, having to do stuff for other people so often. And it's very rarely that people ever pay you to do what you want to do. And so at that point, I was like, well, I know how to shoot. I was willing to do it myself because really it just comes down to time. If you know how to shoot, you know how to edit. Really, it just comes down to your time. And if nobody pays you for it, then whatever. For me, I looked at it as an investment to be able to say, I'm going to get to show others and myself that I was made for something more. I think a lot of people sit around, especially in our community, sit around waiting for somebody to cut a check. If I had a dollar for every time somebody told me, oh yeah, Netflix is interested. Somebody else comes along and says, oh, HBO is interested. Yeah, okay. When you step out in this world and you're really working in it, you realize that it's a lot harder to get those kind of deals. 
And a lot of people that are saying that kind of stuff have never really done it before. For me, I've always kind of approached it like, just be about it and pretend like I'm about it. That's what kind of caused me to get out of the LA scene and come back here to where you could do things and have more flexibility to be able to do some stuff. Could you give us kind of a synopsis or kind of what the story is in Prison Fighters? Yeah, Prison Fighters is a story about Noi Kaupon, who is an inmate and a part of this prison fight program in Thailand that allows inmates to fight for their freedom. And so it follows the story of his freedom fight, him trying to get out of prison by winning a professional Muay Thai fight versus a foreign professional to hopefully get reunited with his son. And you can see it on Showtime anytime you can stream. It's called Prison Fighters, Five Rounds to Freedom. It's one of my favorite projects, and I know we work together on the post side of it. At the same time I was mixing that, I was also mixing a Tiger documentary from China. And there's so much, <laughs> you know, if there's no subtitles and stuff, working on a different language for at least 10 hours a day for however many, four or five weeks... Yeah. You feel like you understand or know the uh, language, but you don't. Well, and I'll say this, you know, CJ's job on Prison Fighters was probably one of the most essential and most difficult jobs of anybody's because not only did he have to balance the foreign language elements of it, but he also had all the atmospheric elements of it. It is very difficult. If anybody knows anything about live Muay Thai events, there's a lot of drumming and flutes and all of this stuff going on. And so to try to capture the energy that you have while still fitting within the documentary realm of us needing to add our own music, needing to capture the sound of the crowd, the different crowd noises that come from different venues. I mean, it is a very tall task and CJ was able to capture it perfectly. Nice job, CJ. Uh, well, thanks. <laughs> I do movies. If, anybody, <laughs> if you were able to talk to like a younger Micah Brown and say, hey, or give yourself a little advice, you know, when you were younger, what would that be? I think the biggest thing that I've learned in my career is that I think when you come out and you're an artist and you're a filmmaker, you know, a lot of people say, don't ever compromise your vision. Don't ever compromise your vision. I think that's probably the worst advice that I've ever gotten is not to compromise your vision. If you are a real professional and you're working in this business and you're getting paid to do it, it is not about who's the most creative in this profession. The people that are the most successful are the people that are able to be creative on command. People that are able to compromise their vision to be able to make a film that appeals to other people and they can adjust their vision. You know, And so it's not seen as compromising. If I could have talked to myself, I would have told myself that. Hey, don't get so stuck on your vision that it like beats you up if things have to change. We get in our head that this is what it's supposed to look like. And then when it doesn't look like that, you can never be satisfied. You are creative because you are creative and your creativity is always <laughs> like shifting and it has to shift. And oftentimes the best art is made when things aren't exactly as you thought they were. Not compromising is almost an oxymoron to being creative in a way. Most arts and passions, no matter what it is, from being an engineer to being a filmmaker, it's like you're constantly adapting. You're having problems that you thrown at you at all sides at all times. So it's like, I feel like not adapting and, and having that as a golden rule is, would be a huge mistake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they talk about there's the three movies that you make, the one that you think about, the one that you write, and the one you ultimately come up with. You can never make what you see in your head so you're already right. compromising your vision that you have in your head because you can't make it. 
when you physically start the process, it's going to be different because right. it just has to be. Okay, here's how I see it. Here's the footage that we're going to be able to get. Okay, I'm making a compromise on exactly how it's going to look because we don't exactly have a way to picture, <laughs> to take the picture right. out of my head and put it there. <laughs> it's all about maintaining the essence. Yeah. If you maintain the essence of what you want, if I'm trying to talk about a story about a father and a son, have I maintained the essence of that? Yeah. Now, sometimes that could change, but oftentimes it doesn't. Oftentimes it really is about something that is supposed to be fluid that you got hung up on, that I got hung up on. It's something that I've really learned through my last two films. And it's never as good as you think it is. It's never as bad as you think it is. You got to be able to just roll with it. The people that are able to adjust on the fly are the people to stick around. So where can people uh, find you and get more information about what you're up to? Oh, man, I, I really don't. I'm on Instagram, but I don't really <laughs> use my Instagram. So Twitter is probably the best thing to find me at Micah Brown Film. You can find me on there. You know, see a lot of KU football tweets, pictures of my kids and every <laughs> once in a while some work stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks, dude. I awesome. really appreciate it. <laughs> thanks for being, being on and talking to us for a little bit. And we're going to definitely continue this at a later time. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Nice to meet you, Mike. Nice. Good to meet you, too. <laughs> later. As always, please check out the show notes for links to our guest work. The Creator Burn Podcast is a production of C2D2 Films and Follow Happy Productions. Written and produced by Chad Crenshaw, Davis DeRock, and CJ Drummiller. Original music by CJ Drummiller and Joseph Adam Gray. 